Welcome to the It's All About Relationships podcast with Marty Folsom, where we deal with relationships with God, with others, and with ourselves. And this is episode 22. Today we're looking at the cross and sin, which seems kind of heavy, but this is really about the great thing that God does that at first look, it looks terrible. It's a terrible mystery, but when we start to see it in the light of a loving God, it starts to take on whole new dimensions about what it means to have relationship restored. So the place where we really have to begin is to recognize the cross, though it's an event long ago, it is always and eternally God's act of love towards humanity. What does that mean? It means that God so loved the world that he does something. So love is always going to be the motive. So all of the stories we hear about God wanting to send people to hell and that God's watching us to make sure that we're good and don't mess up, it all kind of misses the point of the cross. And that is that God is always absolutely loving towards us. And it doesn't mean he's blind to the conflict that we may have with God. And so to say God runs to conflict in the cross, he says, I see that there's something between us and I'm not going to stand back and let it just kind of play out. I'm going to go and do something about it because love takes conflict out of the way. So it's a hard thing to do to run to conflict, but it is a sign of really loving somebody that when you see conflict going on, you run to it and say, hey, we got to deal with this. So when we look at the cross to hear God saying, I love you, I see the conflict, and this is my promise that I'm never going to let it get in the way. In the face of this, we have this possibility of being honest because there isn't somebody waiting to jump on our failures, but really calling us just to be honest with ourselves. The word confession, interestingly, is homologumina, which is to say the same thing, which means that we're both on the same page. We're being honest here about what's going on. And to say that God has an act of intervention is to say, as happens with interventions, which I've been part of, there's a commitment to come and say to somebody, there's something wrong here and I'm not going to give up on you. I love you too much to let whatever's destroying you, whether it's alcohol or some other form of addiction, to let it kill you. I'm going to, in love, come to you and do what I can to bring help. So the cross is God's call to bring us to help, to call us to the help that he provides, instead of living in denial that nothing's wrong, that we don't live with a sense of feeling insecure in life, that we're good enough for God or other people, that fear, the fear of not making it, not being approved by others, that all of those things that are judgments on us, um, we live in denial as though we don't wrestle with those things. And the cross says, absolutely, and indiscriminately, you are loved just as you are, no matter what. Once we get that living in the place of that, that the judgment for us is one of love, it changes everything. So that's the first thing. The cross is God's act of love. The second thing is that the cross is God's act of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation obviously implies that something has been separated or in bondage. And so to say somebody who lives in fear all the time is in bondage. If you can't be honest and speak your mind, if when you're with people, you're thinking, oh, they're not going to like what I say, they're not going to like what I am, then there's something of bondage that's there. And so to be reconciled is to have somebody who says, you know, 
I recognize that you're afraid to show up here. You're afraid to speak. You're afraid to be who you are. You're afraid to let your voice come out. I want to bring you back to these conversations. Know that you're loved and embraced here. That would be reconciliation. So we've not been given a spirit of slavery by God to try and do things, which just takes us back to fear again as controlling our life. We've been given this spirit who resurrects people, who resurrected Jesus, who resurrects us to bring us home, to bring us back to say, all is forgiven, come home. Well, forgiveness says that there's something that could be blameworthy or something there, but that whatever we blame ourselves or others blame us, that that blame is removed. The bondage of blaming and shaming and guilt is all taken out of the way. And all this is done by somebody laying down their life and saying, I'm not going to let anything stand in the way. I'm going to reconcile, redeem, bring you home in a way that is going to take you from whatever distance is there, whatever separateness comes between us, and brings us back together. The third thing is the cross deals with guilt. Now, guilt is about self-blame, that we have our expectations of what it is that we think we should do, and we fail in those expectations. So it's not even that we have God as the one blaming. We blame ourselves for not doing enough or doing too much or letting other people control us or not controlling other people. There's all kinds of things that we just feel out of sync with humanity and with God. And in that, our judgment in ourselves is called guilt, self-blame. So in that, there's a loss. It's a loss of dignity. There's a loss of value. There's a loss of seeing herself as somebody who is worthy of being loved. And when there's loss, there's pain. There's the pain of judgment. There's the pain of feeling like we're dirty or inadequate or just a failure. All of those things come out of this guilt. And in that place of inadequacy, um, we need something to restore us and to get the judgments against ourselves out of the way. So the cross comes and says, you are no longer, you never really were the best judge of yourself. I'll tell you what, my judgment's going to be one thing for you. I'm going to, in time and space and history, say to you, whatever gets in the way, whatever judgment, I'm going to take that judgment of yourself out of the way so that you need not feel any guilt, that you will know that your value is absolute and unconditional. And you are invited to live in the light of that reality. It's not that you're going to make something happen. Because of what I've done, it's done. And so let that guilt go and live now in the wonder and the trust with no fear, which is what not having guilt looks like. No fear of judgment, anyone judging you. Um, this is a transforming moment. And the cross speaks that to us. Let that guilt go. Let all judgment of yourself and others go and live as one who's been joined, who's connected not disconnected and all of the judgments that would disconnect you let them go because the final judgment is you are loved and accepted just as you are not as anybody including yourself thinks that you should be the fourth thing is the cross is about the fresh air of the kingdom that comes in the breath of the spirit that comes and says this is a proclamation of your acceptance your restoration you've been given honor and dignity as a person who is loved and embraced. In this act, 
the affirmation of the fact that you are kin, you're part of this family, the kingdom has come, thy kingdom come, you are kin within this kingdom, you are family, you are alive, and the kingdom coming is inaugurated in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom of God says, you are not strangers and aliens far away from me, but you are those who are my family. I don't just call you the judged, the sinner, the rejected. You are my friends. You are my family. So this turn from self-centeredness that comes when we focus on ourself, live in our own protective hibernating spaces away from being judged by God and others, all of that self-centeredness is changed to other-centeredness, where the other-centeredness of God invites us to come out and play. Yes, the cross is an invitation to come out and play, where we go from being egocentric, worried about self, to becoming heterocentric, in the space where there is the possibility of connection. When we're egocentric, we're always afraid of being rejected. Am I doing it right? Am I, ta am I appearing the way that I should? Am I performing well? Always the fear of rejection in egocentric life. But when we become other-centered, then the possibility of how we give, how we care for others, opens up. Anything becomes possible because we show up as those who connect, who care. And that's what the cross is God doing. He's showing up and saying, I'm here for you and I'm here for the possibility of connection. That is what it is that I am about. Now, this fear piece is not always as intuitive as we might think. So there's an exercise that I do with people where I just begin by saying, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not afraid of you. Which people do that. You might imagine turning next to, to someone next to you right now and just saying that. And it feels so natural and comfortable. And of course, I don't, I'm not afraid of you. I mean, there you are. Here I am. No problem. Then I ask them to tell that person what you think of them. Now, there are some people who know each other well and they can do this easily. But for most people, there's this sudden sense of, if I tell them what I think of them, I don't know how they're going to receive it. They might not like what I say, or I might be confessing that I like them and they never knew it, and I'll be vulnerable. All of those different things that are uncomfortable are about the fear that is actually there. Now, if people aren't convinced, I say, well, let's, let's do another question. Tell that person what you think of yourself. Now, we don't live in a particularly vulnerable kind of world, and so the idea of telling people what we think of ourselves has a couple of real threats to it. If I say something that sounds too good, then people think, oh, they're full of themselves. Or if I say something trying to be humble, then people will potentially think, oh, they're trying to be humble, but, you know, they're not really. I know them better than themselves. And so there's just this sense, whatever I say, the odds of it not coming out well are pretty good. So what do I say that's just truly honest, and I think they'll receive well. And so we live with a fear there. What are people going to think when I talk about myself? Now, a more difficult one to get your head around is another one, and that is tell that person what you think they think of you. So if you think they like you, say, you know, I think you like me, and here's, here's why I think you like me. Or I think you don't like me, and here's why I think you don't like me. And again, it's just the possibility of being wrong here that is the hard thing, because most of us don't have the conversations that allow us to really know what that person thinks or feels about us. 
And so it's risky. And when it's risky, guess what's going on? There's the fear of being wrong and somebody thinking a particular set of things that just show that fear is always at work. Now, I've had some people who just breeze through those things and they think it's not a problem. And now I say, okay, tell that person your deepest, darkest sin, the thing that you are the most ashamed of. Now, at this point, most people will recognize, okay, I do have a fear of telling you the failure in my life, the things that I've done, the things that I've said, the ways that I've hurt people. And we recognize that we're good with people as long as they see our good sides, the things that we want to show them. But when it comes to the deep, dark things, now it gets a little bit more scary. And that's the problem. We really don't want people to know all of who we are. We learn to put on masks. We learn to put on armor. We learn to build walls. We learn to find all kinds of ways for people not to really know us. And we think that that sense of security of not being known means there's no fear. But guess what? When you need security, when somebody says to me, I just need to be secure. I'm not afraid. I just need security. I just need to feel comfortable. All I can hear him say is, I'm afraid and I need the right mechanisms to keep me safe. And you may need to think about yourself. Do you need security? Do you need comfort? If you do, what are you afraid of? What is it that's going on that's getting in the way of the relationship? Whatever it is, we're right back to it. The cross comes to say, well, when it comes to God and us, anything that we should fear has been taken out of the way. Perfect love casts out fear. That is the promise of the cross. It's about taking away the fear so that we live within a forgiveness and a healing that we're able to overcome all of the ways that we try to save face with one another, that we become people pleasers because we don't want them to reject us. All of these different ways are the overcoming of our fear to live with the security that is gifted to us because we are loved and accepted unconditionally. So, At the center of the Christian faith is a promise of a loving God to do what is necessary to remove that which gets in the way of our relationships, and that's called the cross. And it's spoken to every human being as a promise of a love that will not let us go. And that is the hope of deep, rich, fulfilling relationships with God and one another once we start living that way ourselves, We become transformed to become those who live this life, fearless life, out of love. That makes all the difference. Well, thanks for joining us today. This is Dr. Marty Folsom, and you can go over and visit my website at drmartyfolsom.com. You might check out some of the uh, stuff on Face to Face there. On Facebook also I have a page. And keep on thinking and listening and delving into this life of relationships. Thanks for being here today.